Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you all again. I want to welcome our brothers. Welcome every single one of you. Those of you that are new, it's great to see you. You're very welcome here. Uh, we've been going through the book of John uh, throughout the year, really, and we're, we're up to John chapter 12. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, verse 27 to 36. Uh, but before we do, I want to do a little bit of a recap over the last three weeks, because th this is part of, a, of the same event, really, this great event that is unfolding in Jerusalem. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a few questions. Uh, please um, answer out uh, to these questions, get involved. Uh, but I don't want to hear the same person answering all the time. All right. Paul's left, so I think we're safe. All right. <laughs> so so we, we know that there is a great feast going on. So I, I wonder if you could tell me what feast is going on in John chapter 12. Anyone? Shout it out. I can't, I'm, I can't lip read. Passover. Yeah, it's the feast of Passover. And this was a feast where the, the Israelites, they would remember the time where God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It was a great time of celebration. So people were flooding from all over. They were coming from all, from all over Israel and surrounding nations, tens of thousands of people. Jerusalem was heaving. Now, the big, uh, on the lead up to Passover, Jesus has a meal with his friends. Now, a particular miracle took place before this meal. I wonder if you can tell me what Jesus did, anyone. What was this great miracle? Can anyone remember? Hope your sister is speaking to me. Lazarus, what about Lazarus? He raised Lazarus, from the dead. he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days. People had come from all over to mourn with Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were uh, Lazarus' sisters. And people had come from all over to mourn. And then Jesus turns up. And in front of all of these witnesses, Jesus, he has the stone removed from the tomb and he calls Lazarus forth by name. And he comes out. He comes out wrapped in grave clothes. It's a wonderful miracle. Jesus has performed many miracles in his three years of public ministry. But this is the capstone. This is the one. This is the cherry on the cake at this point. Calls Lazarus out of the tomb and he rises from the grave. So these great masses of people that have witnessed this, they go into Jerusalem and they start spreading the news. We have found him. We've found the Messiah. This guy has raised somebody from the dead. So Jerusalem starts stirring. There's a hum in the air. We think we've found the Messiah. Jesus uh, begins to make his way into Jerusalem. I want to ask you, what do the crowds in Jerusalem do when they hear that Jesus is on his way? Can anyone tell me? Jesus is on his way. I'll give you a little hint. He's riding in on a donkey. It doesn't normally do this Palm Sunday. Deepak, Palm Sunday. They start chopping down palm leaves from the trees. They're waving them around and they're singing, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna, it means Lord save us. But in this context, what they're really saying is, here is our Savior. And they've, they've believed that this Messiah would come and he would free them from the oppression of the Romans. That's what they really wanted. That's what they were really seeking at this point. Imagine this Passover, they were remembering when God 
delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians, they're thinking, right, our Messiah is going to deliver us out of the hands of these Romans. And the Romans were a nasty bunch. They were. They ruled with a heavy hand. And these people were oppressed and they wanted freedom. So they began to wave their palm branches and they worshipped Jesus saying, here he is. Here is our Messiah. And we read that the Pharisees are fuming. They're very angry with this. They hated that the people were coming and, and singing Hosanna to this man. Then it says that a group of people come and they ask to see Jesus. What kind of people do we remember? We looked at this last week. What kind of people were asking to come and see Jesus? Anyone? Say that again. Greek people. Yes, Gentiles. They, the, the, the term is synonymous with Gentiles. Basically, anybody that's not a Jew. So yeah, these Gentiles, they want to see Jesus. And it's at this point, Jesus says, it's time. The hour has come in verse 23 for the Son of Man to be glorified. The gent up until this point, Jesus has said, it's not my time. It's not my time. And now the Gentiles come, he says, now's the time. It's the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. How is he going to be glorified? He's going to overthrow the Romans. No. Actually, no. He gives us this metaphor. A farmer's metaphor. A metaphor of wheat dying in the ground. He says, unless it falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear a great harvest. The wheat must fall into the ground and die in order for there to be greater seeds. And so there is this air of anticipation around Jerusalem. There is an air of hope. And then suddenly Jesus changes his tone. And he's pointing to his death on the cross, isn't he? He's pointing to the great sacrifice. He's pointing to himself. He is going to be buried. He is going to die. But then there's going to be a great spiritual harvest. See, the people of Israel, they expected an earthly kingdom. They expected an earthly king. Ones like of old, David, Solomon, the big dons. They were expecting a king like that, but Jesus was going to do something much greater. Much greater and, and a kingdom that would never pass away. It was going to be an eternal kingdom. And to do this, he's saying, I have to die. And this is where we get to our verse now, verse 27. Jesus, he's just spoken about the fact that he must die. And he says this. Now is my soul troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it, they said they had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? 
Who is this son of man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Thank God for his word. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through it. Thank you, Lord, that this word is alive and active. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak through me today, that you would guide my words. And Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to glean something from this word so that we can know you and love you greater. So Lord, just be with us now in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So here, Jesus, he's, he's just look, looked forward. He's cast his mind forward to his death. He said, look, the wheat has to go in the ground. He's pointed to his death on the cross. And then he says, as he looks forward, his soul is troubled. My soul, he says, is troubled. This is the Son of Man, the Son of God, saying that his soul is troubled. That word troubled, it means deep anguish. It means terror. And the Son of Man, Jesus, is saying, I, I feel this in the, in the pit of my soul. My soul, he says, is troubled. But in the midst of that, what, what shall I say, Lord? He goes to his father, he speaks to his father, he said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it's for this purpose I've come. He says, Father, glorify your name. I think there's a lesson there early on for us. I mean, Jesus, just before he's spoken to us, hasn't he, about, he says, those who hate their life in this world will gain it for eternity. He speaks of living for eternal things rather than earthly pleasures, doesn't he? He, this hard teaching of dying to self, crucifying the flesh, living for spiritual things, not earthly things. It's a great sacrifice. It's a difficult teaching. And Jesus himself now is living it out. He gives us this difficult teaching, but now he lives it out himself. He's asking us to follow him because he's going to go first, isn't he? He's going to pick up his cross first. And we see here that in the midst of his despair, Jesus cries out to his father. I think we can learn something from that. Early on, in the midst of your despair, do you know you can go to your father? Do you know? You can speak to him and tell him, just as a little Jimmy told us, you can go to your father and you tell him, I'm struggling. My soul is troubled. Because you can but in the midst of that, Jesus does not say to God, therefore, I cannot go through with what you're telling me to go through. I cannot do it. No, in the midst of his despair, Jesus still cries out, Father, not my will, but yours. Lord, glorify your name. And it's both and. We can do both and. We can go to our Father and we can go in the, in the, the midst of our anguish and despair. And authentically say, Father God, I am finding this trial hard. I'm finding this grief hard. I'm finding marriage hard. I'm finding parenting hard. Whatever it may be, I'm finding it hard. 
And yet we can still pray, on the other hand, glorify your name through this, Lord. Because we know through Jesus' teaching that it is through the suffering sometimes that God is glorified. It is through our faithful following God and being obedient to God, even in the suffering, that our Lord is glorified. And so this teaching that Jesus gives us, this really hard teaching that we looked at last week, he got, he lives, he's living it out now. And he says, glorify your name. And then this voice comes out of heaven. He says, I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Three times in John's Gospel, we hear of a voice coming out of heaven. God's voice, not an angel's voice. Some of them thought an angel had spoken to Jesus here. We don't, we don't get any idea or, 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 or any indication that the people that were there heard the words. We can't tell that from the text. Some, they heard a sound. It sounded like thunder. But we, they, we got no indication whether they could actually understand the words that were being said. Three times in John's gospel this happened when Jesus is baptized. There is a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. Again, on the mountaintop, there's a transfiguration. If you're, if you're familiar with that story, Moses appears and Elijah appears and Jesus is there and they're having a conversation and a voice comes out from heaven and it says, this is my son. This one is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And this is the third time a voice comes out of heaven. And he says, I've glorified it, son. I've glorified my name in your whole life and ministry through all the works you have done, through healing the sick, through feeding the hungry, for clothing the naked, for freeing the oppressed, for casting out demons. I have glorified my name in you, son. And I have glorified it in the raising of Lazarus. What did Jesus say uh, when he heard the news that Lazarus was ill and that he was going to die? He said, this has happened so that the Son of Man may be glorified. Yes? And he was. And, and Mary and Martha who served, Mary, when she, after witnessing that, she poured out that expensive ointment. The most precious thing she had, and she anointed the feet of Jesus because she saw the glory of God. In raising this dead man back to life, I have glorified my name, son, and I'm going to do it again. And this is how I'm going to do it. You're going to die on the cross. Now, Jesus knew this. Jesus already knew this. But he said, this voice has come, that, that has come from heaven, it has come not for my sake, but for your sake. And he says, this is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself and he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die Jesus knew he was going to hang on a cross when he spoke of being lifted up he was speaking of being raised up on a Roman cross arms spread out nails piercing his hands and his feet he knew how he was going to die but he says doesn't he Lord glorify your name and then he speaks of crucifixion how how, short, how can the cross glorify God? This is what the Jews will have asked. This 
is what the Greeks will have asked. It, the, the, the Bible says that, that the cross, it, it was a, a stumbling block for the Jews. And it was foolishness to the Greeks. It made no sense to them because they could not see. They did not understand that the Son of Man had to die. He had to bear the wrath of God so that God could forgive us of our sins. Three ways, it says, that God would be glorified through the death of Christ on the cross. And I want you to, I want you to see this. In verse 31, it says this. Now is the judgment of the world. There's number one. The world is being judged now. Number two. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Then he says, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, he's speaking about his crucifixion, I will draw all people to myself. There are your three things, okay? Number one, judgment of the world. Two, the rule is going to be cast out. And number three, I'm going to draw all people to myself. As I am raised, this is what I'm going to accomplish. And it will bring glory to God. This is the judgment, he says. Brothers and sisters, the wages of sin is death. God is a righteous and just God. He is holy, perfect, and God hates sin. Some people of other religions and some skeptics, they will say, listen, why did Jesus need to die on the cross? If God was loving, if God was merciful, do you know what he would have done? He'd just forgive us. And I say, rubbish. Rubbish. Because if God is holy, if God is just, how can he turn a blind eye to sin? Surely sin must be punished. God is righteous. We all believe this. When somebody commits a, a, a hedonist crime, we expect them to be punished. Because that is justice. God is just. And so sin must be punished. Sin must be judged if God is a just God. And Jesus says, this is the judgment. The wages of sin is death. We are deserving of death. And so that cross was for us. That cross was for us. But here is how God is glorified. How does God judge the world? How does God judge and condemn sin once and for all and maintain his righteousness and at the same time grant us mercy? How does he do it? He pours out his wrath and then he takes our place. Jesus, when he's hung on the cross, he bore the wrath of God. Do you want to know why Jesus' soul was troubled? Was it because he feared the punishment of man? Was it because he feared what man can do to him on a cross? I don't think so. I don't think that's why his soul was troubled. His soul was troubled because he was going to experience the wrath of God. Jesus, the eternal word, who in the beginning was with God and was God, who had an eternal communion and intimacy with his father, he said, I and the Father are one. He would be separated from God. And Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22. 
Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. Why was his soul troubled? Because as he took on our sin, he would be separated from God. God would have to forsake him so that we could be saved. But that is the glory of the cross. That is why the cross is so glorious, because God can be just and righteous and condemn sin, and yet he took the place of the sinners that sinned against him. That's me and you. So that's, that's number one. That's how God is going to be glorified through the cross is that there will be judgment. But then it says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world being Satan. The ruler of this world through the cross of Christ, through the shedding of his blood, would be defeated, cast out, powerless. Let me read uh, Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice. This is a vision. It says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Listen to this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death they conquered him by the blood of the lamb the great accuser satan is called a great accuser because he he accuses of, of our sin he is called the great accuser he tempted adam and eve in the garden he gave them false promises and he sentenced them to death he led them down the road of condemnation the great accuser himself and by the blood of the Lamb, the accuser was defeated. So when it says that he'll be cast out, we, we, we sit there and we think, well, Satan's still here. How's he cast out? Now, of course, this is, this is pointing to a future defeat. We already know, Bob has said it. We've already won. We've already won. Jesus has already done it on the cross. When he cried out, it's finished, he meant it. It's finished. So what does it mean? John Piper, he's, a, he's, a, he's an American preacher, he's a pastor and a bit of a scholar. And he, he says, a bit of a scholar, not as much as you, Bob. That's why I said a bit. He said he's been cast out of the courtroom. Satan is the great accuser and he's been cast out of the courtroom. There's nobody left to accuse because Jesus has done it. Me and you, in the eyes of God, because of Jesus' blood, are guiltless. If that doesn't hit you, because I know I'm guilty. I know I'm a sinner. I know that. I, I absolutely know every single day I have to pr pray the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, and I have to ask for forgiveness because I sin every day. Am I worthy? Am I righteous? Am I guiltless? Absolutely not. But Jesus' sacrifice in my place, in your place, 
means now that we are guiltless. That is the gospel. You are made right with God, not because of anything you can do. You can come here and look the part. You can know all the prayers, all the traditions, all the uh, uh, whatever. You can't make yourself holy and right with God. But it was by the blood of the Lamb. Because he was spotless. He was pure. He was perfect. And he hung on the cross for me and you. And that is why when we take communion, it is both a heartfelt, sorrowful meal and at the same time a joyful meal because of what Jesus has done. And so the ruler of this world can accuse no more. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is wonderful news. You and I, we are free. We are redeemed. We are guiltless. We are spotless. Praise Jesus. And he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The Pharisees were very upset. They said that the, it's not working. What you're doing is not working. The whole world is going after them. Jesus says, this is why I came. This is why I came. The Gentiles come. I come for the Jew, for the Gentile. I came for all. He came for his chosen. And so when he says, I will, I will call all people to myself, I think back to, to John 6. Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me. And I will lose not one of them. When he speaks of being a shepherd, he speaks of leaving the 99 to go and get the one lost sheep. Jesus will not fail in getting every single one of his The all people that he's calling to himself are the chosen. And they're all going to come. And they're all going to receive mercy. And they're all going to receive grace. They're all going to be forgiven. And so what looks, what it was a stumbling block to the Jews, what was foolishness to the Greeks, was good news. Was glorifying to God. It was by the blood of Jesus that God was ultimately glorified. Well, I said it last week. I said often we make a, 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 a thing of, of remembering the resurrection and the ascension as the way that God was glorified. And yes, and amen to all of that. Jesus conquered the grave. Jesus went through death and he rose again. Those of us that follow him in this life, we will follow him through death and we will rise again. He was glorified through the resurrection. He was glorified in the, in the ascension. He will be glorified when he comes again. But at the center of our faith is the cross. Because that is what made it possible. Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, some of them, they said, how can this be? We've read it in our law. The Christ the Son of Man, his, his kingdom will be everlasting. How can you say that he will die? Who is this Son of Man? And it seems like a reasonable question, but what we can't, we can't hear the tone. But the tone underneath that question was unbelief. Jesus responds, he says, look, the light is among you for a little while longer. 
Walk whilst you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Paul said it earlier. You know, my heart grieves for Erin and her family. Tomorrow isn't promised. So the time is now, he says. The time is now to believe. The time is now. Are you ready? These, these, these people, this crowd, it says, they, they didn't believe. They didn't understand and therefore they didn't believe. And Jesus is saying, look, believe in the light. I'm the light. Believe. And I think that for us this morning, that is a great invitation, isn't it? That is a great and wonderful invitation. But it's a pressing one. It's a pressing invitation. Come, come to me. Come and receive the good news. I am the lamb that was slain for you. Come, believe now. It is pressing. Whilst you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. So as we come to a close, I want us to reflect on Jesus' heart once again. Jesus endured the cross for two reasons. One, to honor the Father. Obedience to the Father, to glorify the Father. That was his heart, and his other heart was for us. This is good news. God was glorified. Satan was vanquished. We were redeemed. We were saved. And so we, when Jesus says to us, listen, this life is going to be hard. You will experience moments where your soul is troubled. But in the end, my Father will honor those who serve me. When we go back to what we learned last week, that hard saying, Jesus ends, he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father honored Jesus. When we get to eternity, we are going to not run out of time and energy to worship the lamb that was slain. We too will be honored by God. We undeserving sinners will be honored by God. And so our hearts as we go through the, this life of, 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 of trouble and strife is to hold true to the promises of God and to seek his glory. And so I urge you, brothers and sisters, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you to keep going. I urge you to pick up your cross again. Perhaps you put it down. Perhaps you don't want it. Don't want to be obedient to God. It hurts too much. Pick it up. Pick it up. Because Christ will sustain you. And I want to end with this encouragement, my brother Uche reminded me this week. It's but by the power and the grace of God that we can do it. Because believe you me, in my own strength, in your own strength, you cannot do it. But by the grace of God, you can do it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. God in you, you can do it. I want to look at Hebrews 
It says that we have a great high priest, you know. We have a great uh, high priest who understands the struggle. And he, and, and he tells us to come boldly to the throne room of grace so that you may find two things, mercy and grace in your time of need. Come boldly, brothers and sisters. Come boldly that you may find mercy. You know, there is no sin too great. And I know there might be some of you sitting there thinking, yeah, that's all right for everybody else, but my sin is too great. Wrong. No sin is too great. You are told by our Lord Jesus Christ to come boldly that you may find mercy because we all need it, amen? And grace to help you in your time of need. And my prayer for us as a fellowship is that we will keep going in, in, by the grace of God for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Lord, it is foolishness to men, but to us it is glorious. It is triumphant, Lord, because by your blood, sin was vanquished and we have been washed clean. Lord, we have been made right with you. We have a relationship with you once again, not for everything we have done, Lord, but by what you did on the cross. We thank you, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that now by your Holy Spirit, you would make us new. Lord, we long to be holy and righteous as you are holy and righteous. Lord, we long in the midst of our despair and trouble, we come to you, Father, and we cry out, Lord, though our soul is troubled, Lord, would you renew us and keep us going for the glory of God? Would you glorify your name in our lives? Would you use us in our lives, in our families, in our places of work, in this community? Lord, would you glorify your name in us and through us? Because Jesus Christ, you are worthy and we love you. Amen.